Okay, hopefully that's recording. Please uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's in your uh, worship folder as well. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. This, I believe, is the preeminent passage on evangelism in the Bible. Um, You may never have viewed that as such, but uh, it is. And so let me encourage you uh, to... To look expectantly at God's word as we read it. This is the word of God. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, as we come to your word, it is with expectation that... um, that these will not just be words on a page, but we know because this is your word um, inspired and given to us that your spirit will apply it. And so, Lord, we pray for us to, uh, to approach this time with expectation and engagement, free our minds from other distractions so that we can um, give our time to your word to us. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, again, my name is uh, Kevin. It is a privilege to be with you. It was a privilege to uh, worship with you guys last week with my wife, Beth. And uh, as uh, Tim mentioned, that uh, we are uh, attending and part of Evergreen Church in Salem. My job is I'm the Western Director with a ministry called Christianity Explored um, Ministries. We're based out of London. We came out of John Stott's church there. We're a ministry that uh, works with the local church in the area of evangelism. Um, and uh, equipping the church uh, in that area, which is why the topic I picked for today is, is that um, in that area. I have uh, been 18 years on staff, had been 18 years on staff at a church, a PCA church in Colorado, um, where I worked in the area of outreach and adult discipleship. And uh, right now we are loving our time back in Oregon. My wife and I met at the U of O, um, so we're ducks. And uh, we also, um, I don't know, we'll see if that tent falls over. That would be kind of fun. As this is, this tailgating kind of experience, this is the first time I've ever preached at a tailgate. So um, maybe this is not the last. Who knows? Um, But we met at the U of O, and she's actually from uh, not far from here in Forest Grove. So uh, she grew up there. So we're glad to be back home in some sense. So um, we are looking at um, God's role and our role in evangelism. And so it's a topic, obviously, of evangelism. And since I have already brought up my wife's name and have already, you know, risked that, I might as well keep going. Um, She, um, as we had our kids growing up, they're grown uh, children now, 
But as they were growing up, especially as they hit their teenage years, uh, Beth always had a list. This was the, the list that she um, named, Things You Can Do When I'm Dead. Uh, these are the things that would bring terror to her eyes, um, like skydiving or getting on a balloon or anything like that. Things that she, she was uh, would be terrified of. She continued to have this growing, growing list. And I think, the reason I bring that up is I think for many of us, if you were to ask the average Christian things to do when I'm dead, many Christians would say, I'll put evangelism on that list. Um, I'd rather not deal with this while I'm alive. Um, all I can see is the potential pitfalls. I can see great fear and anxiety rising up within me uh, because what if I risk, and I do risk, it's, some of this is very real, a relationship with friends and family? Um, what if um, what if I don't know what to say? Um, what if I come across as a fool? Um, all the things that Satan brings into our minds that keeps us from doing evangelism is the reason we're needing to talk about God's role in our role in evangelism. Um, I think there are two topics that whenever you bring up in a church, you can get the least attendance on, on and that would be a, a conference on prayer or on evangelism. And, uh, and so we're going to tackle one of these while you're already a captive audience on a Sunday morning. This is good. So it is a joy to be with you. Interesting, I don't think this fear of evangelism is tied to just our culture and our day and age. Rarely are those things the case. In fact, if it's in God's word, it's usually using uh, dealing with something that is um, directly applicable to all people at all times. And I think this is no exception now. In fact, if you look at the first verse of 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry, and that is the ministry of evangelism, because he's talking about reaching out to others, he says, we have this ministry by the mercy of God, therefore we do not lose heart. He wouldn't have to tell the Corinthians not to lose heart unless they were apt to lose heart. Um, and so we also are apt to lose heart. Um, but Paul's saying we, we shouldn't lose heart. And if we do, and if we are coming in, into this with great fear and anxiety, Maybe we need to hear what he has to say in this in this passage because maybe we need to realign ourselves with uh, well, what is it that God is asking us to do in sharing the good news about Jesus Christ to the world around us. So um, at your um, at the table coming in, hopefully you got a, a list of five questions. And of course, I didn't. I gave mine away at the first service. I'm going to run over here. Everyone, just stay still. Look at this. This is a team effort here, guys. This is great. Okay, good. There's five questions here. For those, of, for those of you who are listening in online, here's five questions. And what we're going to do here, I, got, I made it through the first service with no one calling me a heretic, so this is good. Um, we are actually going to have you guys engage in God's word a few, a few minutes on your own to answer these questions so that we can go through this together. So we have five questions. So let me encourage you at home to pick one of these five questions. And, uh, and deal with, with those you have in your home. Um, and so if you're by yourself, that's fine. Or if you have somebody with you or a whole team of family members with you, grab one of these. But here's five questions. And then I will assign them to some of the groups here and have them discuss. So um, these five questions can be found in our text in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 7. This is a great way for us to see that God's word is accessible. We all can read God's word and get out of it. Um, it's not, it's, there are difficult passages. This one here should be quite clear. 
and, uh, and so we can look through this together. So we're going to see in these pa- this passage five questions being answered. The first one is, what can't unbelievers see? What is it that unbelievers can't see? The second question is, why can't they see it? Why can't they see it? Third question is, is this serious? We gave that to a visiting pastor couple last last service because you can't trust them with answers. So, uh, the third, the fourth question is, who cures this blindness? Who cures this blindness? And fifth is, what is our role in this? Now, for those who are listening on Zoom, um, I'm going to repeat that. I know it might you, you you people here have this in front of you, so you can see. But I'm going to repeat this for the people on Zoom, so that you guys can write this down again. What can't unbelievers see? Why can't they see it? Is this serious? Who cures their blindness? And what is our role in this? Now, our passage answers all five of those questions. So we're going to start off with this section over here in the shaded area underneath the tree. You're going to answer the question, what can't unbelievers see? Then we're going to go underneath the next tree back there. You're you're tasked with why can't they see it? You got it? Girls, you got it? All right, you're you're part of that. Um, We're going to deal with this uh, section right here, the sunny section. We're going to give you guys, because you're in the sun and probably full of heat stroke, we're going to give you a very difficult question. It's a yes or no. Is this serious? So you're going to look at the text. And notice there's no verse number after that one. Ooh. So you'll have to tell us what verse you find that from. We're going to put all of you guys in the tent in one big group, which means you guys are going to have to turn around, okay? And you're answering the question, who cures their, their blindness? And then we're going to put these two, the, the tailgaters, um, they're going to be in competition with each other to see if they come up with the same answer because they, they're too far away. You each are answering the question, what is our role in this? So you're going to ask that in your vehicle, Okay. Um, and so we're going to take five minutes, look at the text, and, and see if you can come answer your question. Any questions about that? All right. I see a willingness to go. Five minutes starting now. I think I am. Okay, we're back. We're looking um, at this passage because... Um, I, again, this can help us understand God's role and our role in evangelism. As we do that, we're going to see that this has to do with what I like to call the Department of Spiritual Ophthalmology. Now, a few years ago, um, I borrowed my wife's reading glasses. You can see I have my reading, readers on today because my regular ones are affected by sunlight and they become, become so dark out here that I can't read anything. So I have my readers on, but a couple years ago, I borrowed my wife's readers, and I had never worn glasses my entire life. And I looked at my phone, and I found that I had just gotten a major phone upgrade for nothing, for $10. And so I started buying or buying readers and wearing readers and thinking, this is amazing. I was blind to a heck of a lot of things in this world and had no idea until I put them on. Um, and so what we're talking about here is a very similar thing. We're going to see what is it that uh, keeps us from seeing. Um, and so in the first service, I've also made the analogy, yeah, we're getting used to putting masks around our, our face. 
and we'll see how that can muffle our voices as we try to talk and sing and all of that. Imagine a mask that goes over your eyes. How would that affect your life? Imagine trying to walk through a store. Well, in a sense, Paul is saying here, we have to recognize that we are going through life with people with masks across their eyes. Now, not their physical eyes, but their spiritual eyes. So let's take a look at these five questions and answer the first question over here underneath the first tree. Um, what is it that unbelievers can't see? And that's in verse 4, correct? Yeah, in verse 4, they can't see. Good job. You went right to the verse there and answered. He got it? Good job. Yeah, they can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So keep in mind here, unbelievers may believe a lot of things, and maybe even a lot of good things. They may be incredible neighbors. Uh, they may be. They may agree with you on a lot of issues. They may agree with you on a lot of social issues. Um, they may even be religious. They might even believe in God. Um, but what they're failing to see is something very crucial. They may believe all kinds of good things, but they're failing to see the most important thing, and that is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And what is it? Who is the image of God? So they fail to see who is Jesus, why did he come, and what does it mean to follow him? So they're missing the core issue. They may believe everything else around it. And believe it or not, this is what actually took place um, in Paul's own experience in his own culture. He's talking about his Jewish background. And so if you go back one chapter to chapter 3, he talks about his own people he grew up with as a Pharisee and his own failure, of course, when he was persecuting the church, to see Jesus for who he is. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 14, you'll see that Paul's making this comparison when he says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. So he's saying that these people that he lived among, the Jewish people, understood they had the words of God, they had the Old Covenant, but a veil lied over their eyes, and they could not see Jesus for who he is. And we see in our passage what he means specifically is they couldn't see Jesus as being God. And so, interestingly, catastrophically, for all their belief in God, they cannot see Jesus as Lord and God. And as a result, they only see Jesus in the here and now. Now, we also see that is true in our culture as well. Um, people, very few people have a bad view of Jesus. Most people think that Jesus is a very good person. They may even say he's a great teacher. Some may even call him a prophet. But just like the disciples had to be asked, who do you say that I am? Rarely do people in our culture come to the point of seeing who Jesus is. They need something to happen. So what is it they can't see? They can't see Jesus as God. That takes us to our second question. Why can't the unbeliever see? So we're going to our back tree. Uh, why is it they can't see? Wow. That's quite profound, isn't it? So in our passage, it says the God of this age, or some translations say the God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. 
That is a massive statement. Obviously, Paul has no desire to exalt Satan. So it is no small thing for him to call him the God of this world or the God of this age to begin with. And then he wants us to realize not only is Satan, does Satan have tremendous influence, but he has a focus. So first of all, what do we know about his influence? That there's no level of family life, education, commerce, industry, politics, arts, sports, every aspect of life, in which case Satan does not have colossal influence. But here, Paul reminds us that we're in the midst of a huge spiritual battlefield and that Satan has one primary objective in the midst of this battlefield. And that is to keep people from recognizing who Jesus is. You know, Satan is quite happy with people going around saying, you know, Jesus was a great teacher. He would love for people to go around saying, oh, that Jesus was a great prophet. They would love people to say, yeah, you know, I'm religious and I love to go to church. But they don't see who Jesus is. He also loves people staying in tune and prosperous with their family, with their lives, relationships, material possessions, and everything going well, as long as they don't see who is Jesus, why did he come, and what it means to follow him. That is the focus of Satan's blinding their, their, their eyes. Um, so they're blind to anything beyond that, and he directs his efforts at this one key personal objective. Now, if we understand that, doesn't that help us understand why evangelism is so difficult? If Satan is blinding people to keep them from seeing who Jesus is, that should help us take a step back and say, oh, I understand now. I understand that this is a struggle and the issue that, that my friend is having may not be a matter of more information. This may be a spiritual issue. Now, we're also going to realize that this is the same thing that we came out of. And we're going to see this in the next statement. So let's answer that next question. Um, actually, we're going to answer the very more difficult question that the people in the sun were able to deal with. Is this blindness serious? Yes. Yeah, we're dealing with a world that is going to go about life as it is, fine, until a point when life ends. That is deadly serious. We're living in a world that can live in ignorance of who Jesus is and blissfully ignorant. But as Lemming's about to go off a cliff, that is the approach our world is taking. Now, thankfully, one of the great blessings, I believe of this COVID-19 pandemic is our world has been cleared off of the, the thought that uh, life can go on without um, regards to death. We have lived in a world that has tried to sanitize death in the Western world. We've tried to ignore that death is a reality. I had a friend who said that one of his best ways of discipling others was to take young men with him and have them walk through a cemetery because he wanted them to see that life has an end and what are you going to do with it? We have a world that has been trying to ignore that for years. But now we're in a world that is so much different. We have a world that has been trying to ignore that. I was 
um, back in Ventura, California, where we were at before we moved back up here um, a couple weeks ago and walked with a friend through the center of town where what they call Cemetery Park is there. Now, Cemetery Park used to be a cemetery. Um, it used to have headstones and it was right smack in the middle of the park. But about 15 or 20 years ago, the city council or whoever decided, you know what? People don't like to be reminded about death as they walk through downtown. Why don't we remove all the headstones and all the plaques and make this a park where people can play, play in? And so that has been the case. They have markers for people can know the general area where the bodies lay, but now it's a park for people to picnic in. That is how our society deals with death. We deal with death by ignoring it. Well, nowadays, that is no longer the case. I was also back on that same trip and visiting a friend of mine who lives with some some other um, older folks who, of course, would be very um, um, concerned about the the COVID disease and wanting to keep their distance. And so my friend, uh, Skip, was trying to introduce me to a friend of his, Susan. Now, Susan was way back, uh, far away from me, like as far as that hatchback, which is, for those of you on Zoom, um, that's what, 100 feet um, away from me, maybe more. Um, and so, so she was probably about a hundred feet from me, but when I came into the garage with her and she was on the clear other side, a hundred feet away, um, I saw the look of absolute terror in her eyes. She was paralyzed in fear when someone she didn't know who might have this disease was coming into the same room as her. And, uh, and so that was real. She was in terror. She was afraid of dying. We live in a world that is terrified of dying. And that's why this is good news, is we, as Christians, have the only answer for this world that is terrified about dying. We have the answer about pointing people to Jesus. So yes, is this serious? Absolutely. And we're on the front lines of this. All right, so now we go to our fourth question, which I think is our big tent people. Is that what we call it? We call you guys the big tent people? Yes, all right, big tent people. You are answering the question, who cures their blindness? God. So, boy, you got it in one word. The answer was God. All right. Yes, God cures this blindness. Where do you see that in our text? Because, yeah, what verse? Yes, you're doing good. Perfect. A plus for the tent. Excellent. Well done. Yes, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. So God shines in our hearts to give what? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's God who shines. So we saw in the last verse, in verse 4, Satan blinds. We see in verse 6, God shines. Satan blinds, but God shines. Does this bring to mind a couple of passages from our from the Old Testament? One, the previous Old Testament reading, which we've read earlier today, out of Genesis 1, we end up seeing that God allowed the, the world to be created when he spoke light into existence. And so Paul is saying here something spectacular. He's saying the God who spoke the universe into existence that takes that same power to create life in us and help us to have our blindness healed. The second thing that comes to mind 
is Paul's own Damascus Road experience, right? Do you remember when Paul was on his way to Damascus? He had to be blinded physically to be able to see spiritually, right? So here's an interesting application. If anyone ever comes to you and say, I have a very boring testimony, you can bonk them upside the head and say, no, it took the same miracle power that it takes to create this awesome world to help us see. In other words, people can't see on their own. It takes God to help them see it. It takes God to to break in there. And it's the miracle power that it takes to create the world. So if this is the case then we can realize something. If God's sovereign and we're not, we can't make people see. If this is the case, does this not change our view of non-believers when we're trying to share the gospel? Does this not give us a compassion? And does this not make us want to pray? Because God alone can do this. All right, well, we gave the the tailgaters um, the last section. We're going to see if they came up with different answers at each tailgate. So what is our role in this? You have a few different sections to look at, verses 1 and 2 and verse 5. What is our role? We're going to start with a tailgate over here. I'm going to go over and see if I can hear. Zoom, the first uh, hashback said the first half of the passage, verses 1 and 2, say we're, there's two parts to it. The first part is that we are obligated to communicate this this message with with accuracy. We do not uh, compromise the word of God, nor do we distort it, um, but we do this in humility. So let's talk about the second part there, which is more the humility part. What did you guys come up with with this uh, hatchback? Yeah, well, you can you can say that's pretty much it if you want to say that. That's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah, we actually see at the end there that it's our job, though. We do are, are obligated to to uh, not preach ourselves, but to preach Christ. So it is the the humble part. We do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants. So we have two twin truths here. If you think of two big pillars that you're holding on to when you're doing evangelism, the first pillar is the reliability of Scripture, that we're not going to distort it, we're going to rely on Scripture to do its work. And then the, with, while holding on to that, we're constantly reaching for people and trying to find different ways to reach them. Let me give you an example of this. Acts 17. In Acts 17, Paul goes into two cities. He starts off in Thessalonica in the first half of Acts 17. He goes into Thessalonica, and he is... Uh, is preaching in the synagogues, and it says over a period of, of Sabbaths, he presented the gospel to them. So over a period of weeks. I'm in a ministry called Christianity Explored. What we do with Christianity Explored is over seven weeks, we open up the gospel of Mark, we do it in a, over a meal, and we introduce people to who is Jesus, why did he come, and what does it mean to, to follow him. Now, as creative as I think we are, I have to look back and say, you know what Paul did in Acts 17? He ran the first Christianity Explored. He took them over a period of Sabbath. He probably had a meal with them, and he opened up the scriptures, and he dialogued with them from scripture. 
Interesting, he went back to the Old Testament because he was referring to a bunch of Jewish um, uh, people who were gathering together in the synagogue, and he referred to them to their, their Old Testament text. Now, later on in Acts, he goes to Athens. These are people who have had no understanding of their um, of the Jewish scriptures, and what does he do there? In Acts 17, Paul, still not compromising the gospel, but reaching for them in new ways, does not go back to the Old Testament prophets that they have no familiarity with. Instead, he talks about their, their poets, their own idols that they have up, and he's reaching out to them to proclaim Jesus as better than all of those. So you see, that is gospel creativity. There's gospel creativity. Depending on who he's with, he's anchored on the scripture, but reaching for people where they're at. So that is how we do our part. There's a couple of, of main thoughts here as we're concluding this portion of the, of the service. First of all, we, because we believe in God's sovereignty, we can take joy in evangelism. We don't feel the need to deceive people or distort the word of God. We can talk about the tough bits of sin. We can talk about um, our own rebellion. We can talk about the judgment of God. We can talk about hell. We can talk about those things that we don't like to talk about because we don't feel the need to deceive people or distort the Bible. We can relax and tell the good news because the good news is especially good when the bad news is told. It also tells us 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6 helps us carry it out in the right way. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. So we do this because we believe in God, God's sovereignty and then gospel integrity. It means we're straight with people, we're genuine and sincere, and that leads to the third application, and that is gospel humility. You saw in our text, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Gospel humility leads to gospel creativity because the message is bigger than us. It means that we are caring about the other person. And so what we see here is our opportunity before us. In a world that is desperately looking for answers when people are dying, they're looking for answers in a world where, um, where things are, their worlds are turned upside down, and they're realizing that all of the things they've been depending on their entertainment, you can't go out and do things together. All of these things have been stripped bare. Now, is there an opportunity to be engaged in the gospel with these people that God has put in our lives? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to see that you are sovereign. That you are the God who shines and that you have called us to proclaim Christ. Lord, help us to recognize the battle before us. Help us to be faithful in prayer. And Lord, we ask that you will change our heart towards the non-believers in our lives, that we will have more compassion because we'll recognize that they are blinded by the God of this age, and that we will find ways to reach out with, to them in creativity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.